The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. If you're interested in keeping your eye health top-notch throughout all of the stages of your life, this is the program to listen to right now. We'll discuss the latest treatments and technologies to help battle vision-related disease, as well as bring you tips and proven methods to keep you seeing well, now and as you age. Here is your host, Dr. Bob Rothbard. Good afternoon. You're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob on the Voice America Radio Network online. Uh, today, we have a guest who's appeared with me before, uh, Dr. Val Wren of the School of Optometry at Western University. And I think it with this show, we're going to reverse roles, where I'm going to have her ask me a few questions about my optometric career, what I've enjoyed about private practice, and we'll go through several questions, and I think it should be of interest. Uh, how are you today, Dr. Wren? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing well. I'm looking forward to this. Same here. Um, and I, you know, we we met maybe sometime last year, um, but I've never asked you how long have you been in practice. Well, I graduated uh, from Pacific University College of Optometry way back in 1981, so I've been practicing quite a long time. And my practice uh, that I have here in Rancho Cucamonga, we opened it in March of 1989. So basically, we're about 25 to 26 years old. And I, it, I enjoy it. Of course, private practice has its uh, interesting moments. But for the most part, I'm so happy that I did it. That's wonderful. I, I'm also curious, how did you decide on becoming an optometrist? Interesting. Back in, actually, in my junior year, sophomore year of high school, Mm-hmm. Uh, I was discussing with my father about certain professions, and I wanted something in the healthcare profession that wasn't really life or death. And as we're finding out, there is certain issues that are life or death in our profession, but for the most part, I didn't want to deal with surgery and so forth, so I wanted to go into optometry. So that's where I started, and I was pretty direct and focused uh, on what I wanted to do at that time. And I was able to get into optometry school, pretty much three years of uh, undergraduate. So I started in optometry school when I was about 21 or 22 years of age, and I graduated uh, right before my 25th birthday. So it was pretty neat. And so since that time, would you say the profession has met your expectations? It really has, Dr. Wren. You know, I've so enjoyed practicing. You know, it's much more than what I thought because also it's a dynamic profession. If I looked at what we were allowed to do as an optometrist back in 1981 Mm -hmm. compared to what optometrists are doing now, especially on the medical end of things, dealing with glaucoma, dealing with eye disease, uh, dealing with life issues, it's really expanded. 
but also I've become involved with different groups of optometrists that deal with what I call the functional or behavioral end of optometry, which deals with how well can a kid learn in school? What role does vision play in sports, mm-hmm. in work, and in education for that matter? So my expectations and the love that we have from a lot of our patients, I never expected that. I actually first noticed that even when I was in my uh, fourth year of optometry school at Pacific, when we dealt with an individual, a patient, uh, probably in her mid-30s to early 40s, and we dealt with vision training. She had trouble coordinating her eyes, and she, you know, in those days, they couldn't give you much. They couldn't pay you for what you did. Mm -hmm. So she actually brought a bottle of wine and uh, said, thank you for what you've done. Wherever you practice, there will be someone grateful like me for your dedication and enthusiasm. And that was just a start. So it was really enjoyable as far as that's concerned. My expectations, like I said, with how we treat people and so forth, the colleagues that uh, we've become associated with, becoming part of the community, it's been great. So well exceeded the expectations. It sounds like you're a people person and, you know, it sounds like you've probably had many rewarding experiences uh throughout your career um, well, and 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 your care goes beyond the vision exam it, it affects the person's livelihood and and what they do on a day-to-day basis um, so what can you share with us a a story uh, where you had um, that significant impact where you felt that um, you took away from it also as much um, from the experience as a, as a, a rewarding um, type experience for you? The experiences are numerous, Dr. Ren. Uh, <clears throat> one, for example, uh, was referred uh, from a patient of mine. The patient came in and her problems stemmed from the fact that she was walking into walls. This was after brain surgery. And she couldn't walk a straight line. So we did the examination. She was 20-20, but I had a really old way of measuring. This was a long time ago. Uh, peripheral vision. It was called the tangent screen, which is basically just following a white dot on a black background. And she had a visual field defect that affected both eyes on the same side. Uh, so what we did was we're able to use certain lenses that, actually shift the image from left to right or up and down. In this case, we put something that shifted the image to the right and it kind of balanced her because she was missing her uh, visual field on one side and she was able to walk straight. She really felt as if we made a big difference. She was able to read better. She actually was able to get a driver's license. Well, She probably had the driver's license. She felt capable of driving. And she was totally depressed before this. Mm -hmm. And the problem was that the surgeon who worked with her on the brain, uh, the brain surgery, told her she was faking it, that there was nothing wrong with her, Mm -hmm. that it was all in her head, sort of speaking. And uh, so this had a tremendous impact on a patient. So that was one such instance. And I can go through this for the rest of the show. And I'm going to give you a couple of more. Another one was a patient. She was a high school principal, uh, grammar school teacher, rather. Mm-hmm. And she had fallen on the back of her head. 
and there was swelling on the optic nerve. So we referred her neurologically to make sure how to take care of the swelling. And the optic nerve was swollen, actually. And after she was treated and treated very effectively uh, by the surgeon, uh, she still had trouble, still had headaches. So we worked with her and her vision wasn't, she was capable of 20-20 with glasses, but there was still a problem. And the problem was her eyes could not align in a vertical dimension. In other words, she was struggling to bring her eyes to work together. Otherwise, she was tending to see double. So he put a little bit of uh, what's called prism in the lenses, and what a difference that made. And uh, she went back to her surgeon, on uh, eye surgeon, and he said, this is bad medicine. So she wrote me back. He said, bad medicine. Bad medicine got my students back their principal, my husband back his wife, and my kids back their mother. That's what bad medicine did for me. So that was kind of neat as far as that's concerned. And then we had a medical problem, Dr. Ren, where the person came in, headaches and blurred vision. Well, most of my patients come in with with that symptomology. So we actually looked at her, and again, the optic nerve was swollen in one eye. It was blurred. And also... There was a problem with the visual field. So we knew the problem immediately was in the brain. Unfortunately, the referral took a little longer than it should have. We rushed it. We put stat on it, but it's still. Uh, by the time she saw, and it was an ophthalmologist, they immediately did a scan on her. And she had what they termed was one of the biggest aneurysms that they had seen in the brain. Mm-hmm. And they immediately rushed her to surgery. It actually ruptured on the operating table. And... What happened was she lost her vision in the eye, but saved her life. And the surgeon said if she would have waited any longer, uh, she would have certainly had died. And she actually came in with a small gift, and with the, the card was much more important. She says, Doctor, thank you for saving my life, which was really neat. So these are the type of experiences that we have with patients. But... Doctor, there's another side of things that we deal with, too, outside of vision. You know, we deal a lot with students. Fortunately, I have a computer uh, within my office itself, and that serves about three purposes. One, when I have to show patients what they're going to see if they're sitting in front of the computer all day long, Mm -hmm. uh, I could show them with lenses what kind of an effect that has. I had a patient today, in fact, Young 34-year-old was myopic in both eyes. There was a difference about a diopter's difference, and also there was astigmatism with one eye compared to the others. When I see these individuals, when I see this uh, difference between the two eyes, I generally look at the reading. Even though they're not of uh, bifocal age yet, he was in his early 30s, we put a lens in front of him, in front of the contacts, and what a huge difference it made for reading. Normally, a lot of times, reading is not checked until the person is about 40 or 42 or 43. He was a lot younger, but what a huge difference that made for the individual. Uh, So that's one difference. Also, what's great about the computer, if there's a medical condition, for example, if some of my patients have neovascularization of the cornea, technically speaking, overwearing their contact lenses and blood vessels are starting to encroach a little bit toward the center of the eye, we can actually show them, just go onto Google, 
or any search engine for that matter, and you can pull it up and show them what it is, and it makes an impact. But the other thing, Dr. Ren, is that we do is I deal with personal development among a lot of my patients. I have them listen to certain individuals, uh, people who you might have heard of mm-hmm. or might not have heard of, people like Napoleon Hill, who wrote Think and Grow Rich, people like Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. So they know how to deal with people. And they know where to find this. Individuals who want to deal with marketing and so forth. There's an individual named Seth Godin, one of the best marketers uh, there is about the new dynamic environment, about social networking they discuss, especially for young individuals who are looking what they want to do to make them more enthusiastic. So this is some of the things that we deal with with patients on, those, and that, on that score. Well, it sounds like you've got um, um, the latest technology in, you, in your practice, and um, certainly um, our patients appreciate um, having a visual and being able to see um, a pictorial, pictorial of, of what's going on with their eyes and understand their eye health better. So, right. And great. one of the things, you know, when you mention technology, yes, we have some of it, but of course we can't have anything. But uh, your school having resources that are far above uh, what I can have in my private practice has been a great source of referral to send them there to be able to get the latest in technology to measure certain types of disease, certain types of findings that I can't uh, measure and that I'm not equipped to do. So that has been a total exposure for the patients, and it's worked out really great. Mm-hmm. I have to agree. And as far as being able to work with patients with this regard, it's been a good combination where you, the school can actually measure the tests but send the patient back to us for us to do the actual follow-up as far as that's concerned. Right now, we're going to take a little break. Uh, we're coming up against time, and we'll be back. We have Dr. Valerie Wren from the School of Optometry at Reston University, and you're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. We'll be back. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. If you are in Southern California, visit Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center. Dr. Bob started his practice more than 25 years ago, providing high-quality vision care to his patients. Some of our patients and their families have been coming to us since the very beginning. Visit our website at RanchoEyeDoctor.com. There you can click on the Testimonials tab, Video tab, and Blog tab. If Dr. Bob feels that the care a patient needs is beyond his scope of practice or knowledge, he can refer these patients to specialists to make sure the patient is receiving the best care possible. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center is part of the local chambers of commerce in Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, and Ontario, California. Our wonderful staff is very knowledgeable and friendly. We welcome most vision care plans and can help you find your vision plan if you're unsure about your coverage. We'd love to have you come in. Visit RanchoEyeDoctor.com or if you're in Southern California, call us at 909-980-3535. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center, 909-980-3535 or RanchoEyeDoctor.com. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob Rothbard. To reach our show, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or you can send an email to ranchooptometric at verizon.net. Now, back to this week's edition of Vision Talk Radio. We're back, Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. I'm with Dr. Val Wren of the School of Optometry at Western University. And we're just carrying on a conversation about what private practice is, what it is to me, and the enjoyment. So, Dr. Wren, uh, what else did you uh, have questions about? Well, hey, Dr. Bob. I know that, you know, it's great hearing about your private practice. I want to hear more about um, um, some of, you know, your social media and and uh, some of uh, your philosophies with prescribing. But I also want to know about, because I know that you're involved in the community, uh, what, what sorts of things are you doing um, in the community? Glad you asked that. And it's a source of passion. Uh, I'm a member of the Chamber of Commerce. Ever since I opened my practice in 1989, I belong to the Rancho Cucamonga Chamber of Commerce, and it's been wonderful. It's, a, it's gone through various changes like all the uh, chambers do. But... I'm an active member of that chamber. In fact, I'm an active member of three chambers, Upland, California, Ontario, and Rancho. And fortunately for me, I'm the only optometrist uh, that shows up Mm -hmm. uh, to the meetings and shares things about vision. And it's been partly, it's been a good source of referral, but more importantly, you really also start to realize the importance of networking directly, not socially online, although that's important too, but with uh, patients and you start to become their friends and you start to know their families and so forth. And these chambers have big meetings. I mean, some of the meetings have well over 100 individuals there. And the thing of it is, they know me as Dr. Bob and you get to visit with them and so forth. And it's a lot of fun. And I talk to individuals there, share what we're able to do in our practice, and we've got a very good reception from there. Being in the community is great. I'm in a shopping center. Uh, if you're familiar with uh, the Inland Empire Baseline in Haven, mm-hmm. and one of the enjoyments I have, doctor, is even just walking down to Starbucks. I mean, this is funny. I meet this little uh, toadhead kid, a little blonde here, about three years old. And they call me Dr. Bob from there, and they know I'm across. And again, this is networking, but more important, it's just a source of enjoyment. And I meet with this kid, and I said, do we like New York? And he goes, yeah. And I said, do we like Boston? I shake my head, and he goes, no. And I said, do we like the Yankees? And he goes, yeah. Do we like the Red Sox? And no. So it's just as, of course, we're kidding with him. And trying to get this kid to speak with a New York accent, which he really does a really good job at at three years of age. So that's the type of uh, family stuff that we have. The chambers, getting back to the chambers, they also have various events. And a lot of times we will sponsor the event. I've become a uh, donate certain uh, either sunglasses or actually donate uh, money for certain causes with the chamber. So it, whatever you give comes back much more. Uh, right. Right. towards you. Uh, 
and it's been uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, experience in doing this. And like I said, I've been doing, I've been in the community now since 1989. The other chambers I've joined uh, later on, but it's been uh, really great just to uh, be part of it and so forth. Now, can anyone join the Chambers of Commerce or do you have to be invited? Anybody can really join and either you can join as an employee of a group. The the business has to join themselves. Okay. Uh, But there are schools or county people who have uh, joined the Chambers of Commerce. Uh, There are, of course, business owners as myself. But just as long as you're part of the business has to register and you can be an employee. But to me, it's a big part because you can really relate. I mean, there were times where I, was, uh, I took on a sponsorship for about two or three months where I was the main speaker where I would talk about everything uh, from uh, LASIK surgery to vision training to certain methods of prescribing, different aspects of contact lenses and so forth. So we really got out there as far as that. And one of the things I'm proudest was in, in 2008 for Rancho Cucamonga, I was Small Business Person of the Year. Uh, Congratulations. As voted on. Yeah, that was pretty neat. Uh, so I was nominated that and uh, had a breakfast uh, for that. And uh, it, was, it was pretty cool. It was uh, quite an honor to achieve for me. Well, it's great that you're involved in the community and giving back to the community. And I think it's important that there's an optometrist sitting um, amongst, you know, others uh, on on the chambers because uh, what we do as optometrists is our scope of practice has expanded so much over the past years that um, it's more than uh, prescribing glasses. um, We also look at binocularity and how does binocularity and eye teaming influence how you prescribe for your patients? Tremendously, doctor. Uh, I referred to the case a little bit earlier with the individual I prescribed uh, plus lenses to. Uh, I'll sh- shoot out a number to you, although the audience might not understand it. But I'm about nine or ten diopters of vertical, and. Uh, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a heck of a lot, which means there's a little bit of uh, suppression. And we're just talking technical talk here. Basically, what it means is that, and I've adapted to it, but if I had any other patient that came in with my type of symptomology, the first thing I would do, especially if they weren't aware of it, would actually be to have a neurological consult to make sure there was an, a tumor or stroke that caused that problem. Uh, basically, the doctor... Uh, most people will know if they have that type of problem. I had people today, and it works, only measured, Dr. Renner, half a diopter vertical. Mm-hmm. But I, and some people, you know, you have to show them the difference. You have to trial it. And what a significant difference it made. In other words, there was the slightest of deviation. The eyes are straight when you look at them. And it's really difficult to take this measurement to such a small degree. But what a difference it made. Uh, for the individual. Here's another case, too. A patient came in uh, with a big difference between the two eyes. And I think she was 19. She was young. And I think she had gone through some forms of vision training. And she was over-prescribed in the one eye, which is a tendency to do in certain situations. And the other eye had no prescription. Mm-hmm. The person has, and when you look at these individuals, 
the person, you will see the person's eye is way bigger in front of the eye that has the larger prescription as compared with the other eye. Mm-hmm. So immediately when I see these individuals to try to uh, force them to use both eyes together or make it easier for them to use both eyes together, we will fit a contact lens. Now keep in mind this patient's best vision out of the good eye was 2020. But the best vision that this patient has was like 2060 to 2080, best corrected. However, I put the contact lens on this, and this was within the last couple of weeks. And all of a sudden, I said, you're going to see a big difference, you know, building it up. And part of it is the way we talk to patients, doctor. The passion that we have is so important when we're actually working with patients, not just saying, here it is, but Mm -hmm. really treating them as a person. So I put that lens actually on the patient and she said for the first time she can see things on the left side of -hmm. her vision and because she said I was totally shut out and when we took her out and I have a big waiting, I have a waiting room and fortunately they can see outside real easily. I'm on, uh, I'm in a strip center so they can actually see across the parking lot and so Mm -hmm. forth and she actually started crying when she Mm -hmm. saw this for the first time she was able to actually use both eyes together as far as that's concerned. Mm -hmm. And, you know, binocularity, uh, there's certain types of individuals that need it more. And you deal with individuals in sports and you start hammering away at not only binocularity, but how good the binocularity is. In other words, if they're constantly running or they're moving, can their eyes stay and we'll use the two layman's terms, aimed and to make the eyes aligned and focused to see clearly. How well could the individual do that in a stressful situation when they're running back for a ball? Or, for example, if they're, uh, we'll go into the relationship between binocularity and perceived periphery, and I'll probably do that a little bit uh, later. But how well do they coordinate those eyes together And to me, it has a dramatic effect on the ability in sports. And of course, when you deal with binocularity, you want to be talking about, we're going to be going over this a little more because I just don't want to give it short shrift, uh, Mm -hmm. the ability for a child to be able to perform in school. And sometimes, and here's a continuum, you have an individual who has really strong binocularity, You have a person who's on the cusp. In other words, they're struggling to use it. And then you have the individual that totally gives it up. In other words, either their eye is crossed or their eye is divergent out. It's been constant like that for for a lot of their life. The one that has the most difficulty in school, in my opinion, is the one who has binocularity but barely has it, where they're under any stress, if they're doing a lot of reading or they're staring at a monitor for a long period of time, they are going to develop symptomology. They are going to have headaches. They're going to have fatigue. It's almost what uh, OEP, the Optometric Extension Program, would refer to as a case being embedded or disembedded and so forth, or how organized the person is within their visual system. And I learned this stuff in school way back, and I've intended, and we'll go on with some of the education I've had since then, and I think your school is having a stud practicum coming up. Mm-hmm. I think I was reading. 
which is, uh, this guy's very amazing, uh, what he donates to the optometry schools. And it deals with, again, what's called uh, functional optometry, of how well is the person, how well does the person's vision make them perform and what, and the person's performance, what the person's doing, how does that affect their vision? So these are all things that are dealing with binocularity. Uh, again, uh, the workplace, being able to sustain for long periods of time. A person's binocularity, in my opinion, can affect, for example, will the person's eyes become dry after a while? Certain stressors can cause dry eyes in addition to not blinking enough, which a lot of people do on the computer. So these are things that we're actually looking at uh, with uh, individuals with binocularity. So it is a tremendous importance to be able to measure it and also which we'll go into later perhaps after the uh, break uh, vision training and how it can be developed and I'll discuss some cases that we've had we're going to take a break right now we're coming up against the hour you're on vision talk radio with dr bob we're with guest dr valerie wren from the school of optometry at western university we'll be back Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. If you are in Southern California, visit Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center. Dr. Bob started his practice more than 25 years ago, providing high-quality vision care to his patients. Some of our patients and their families have been coming to us since the very beginning. Visit our website at RanchoEyeDoctor.com. There you can click on the Testimonials tab, Video tab, and Blog tab. If Dr. Bob feels that the care a patient needs is beyond his scope of practice or knowledge, he can refer these patients to specialists to make sure the patient is receiving the best care possible. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center is part of the local chambers of commerce in Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, and Ontario, California. Our wonderful staff is very knowledgeable and friendly. We welcome most vision care plans and can help you find your vision plan if you're unsure about your coverage. We'd love to have you come in. Visit RanchoEyeDoctor.com or if you're in Southern California, call us at 909-980-3535. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center, 909-980-3535 or RanchoEyeDoctor.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob Rothbard. To reach our show, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. Or you can send an email to Rancho Optometric at Verizon.net. Now, back to this week's edition of Vision Talk Radio. Okay, you're back with Dr. Bob Vision Talk Radio. And we're again with guest Dr. Val Ren of the School of Optometry at Western University. You know, doctor, you've asked me how I've become part of the community, but I know the School of Optometry does a tremendous job, not only with 
patience, but outsourcing of uh, examinations, and also what you've done as far as continuing education uh, with uh, the doctors. And I'd like you to spend some time describing those situations with us. Well, we're always interested in doing community outreach. Um, we're lucky because we have uh, we have students. So the optometry school program, it's, it's a four-year doctorate program. Um, most of the students have their bachelor's in, in science uh, before they before they attend um, the College of Optometry. And so one of the great things is we have, we have manpower. And so when we go out in the community to do vision screenings, um, we have, you know, it's a win-win situation because we have students that are eager to help and, and learn and practice their techniques. But we also go out and evaluate school-age kids. And we go a little bit beyond... Um, visual acuity. So certainly the child should be able to see well in the distance and also up close. But we also evaluate um, the student's color vision. Um, We look at their ocular health. So we do a little bit more than just a traditional uh, vision screening. And that is really helpful because we've identified uh, students where um, they had significant refractive error. So what that means is that they probably were not able to see what the teacher is writing on the smart board, or, um, um, and that affects the student's ability to learn. And so I always find those cases are really interesting. Um, and for the Pomona Unified School District, we've done regularly every month um, vision screenings. We also have a vision van. So if we can't bring the exam, if we can't bring the patient or student um, to our center, which is in Pomona, we'll go out in our van. And so we have a couple of outreach projects where we'll go to a um, nursing home and set up and bring the exam into the community. Um, One of the areas that I've been participating in is talking about fall prevention uh, with our seniors. So we do quite a bit of, of um, outreach, uh, but we also do in-house, we do a lot of continuing education for the area um, optometrists. Um, once a month we have uh, webinars where uh, some of our faculty will discuss a particular topic. And so um, we also like to partner with um, providers in the area and provide continuing education. Next month, I'm doing a glaucoma workshop um, with uh, a couple of my peers here where we're an integral part of credentialing optometrists to obtain additional uh, glaucoma licensure to be able to treat their patients Mm -hmm. um, that have glaucoma. And so there's always a lot going on here at, at the college. Um, we feel that we're actually leaders in interprofessional education. And Western University actually has nine different colleges. And so we, um, throughout the four-year curriculum, we um, uh, have a particular uh, curriculum where the students of all professions learn to work together 
and I think the outcomes there are, are going to be of great benefit to the public where their health care providers are, are better able to communicate what's going on with their case and um, the outcomes are because there's going to be better communication and sharing of knowledge and understanding of uh, what each profession's scope of practice is. I think there's going to be less redundancy in healthcare. Um, so one of the teams that I, I sit on, um, there's the optometrist, the pharmacist, the physical therapist, the uh, graduate nurse, the uh, osteopathic physician. And so um, we like to work in teams and uh, team ba- team based um, science is big in healthcare these days and so um, that's one of the other areas that I'm involved in uh, with the college but I always try to at least do at least one community out- outreach every month um, to share about what what I'm doing clinically and um, one of the areas that has been of great interest is uh, fall prevention and when we had gone out to do a vision screening at the Arcadia um, Senior Center, uh, we did the vision screen, but we also did a, a balance screening with, um, with these um, participants, and the seniors, were real, they were really into it. Um, they were all lined up, and they saw what we were doing, where they have to walk and uh and we were evaluating their gait, and they were walking at different speeds and with different head turns and using their, their vision. And these seniors really wanted to prove themselves. They said, I'm, I'm going to beat the test. And there was this one, <laughs> there was this one senior. He was so cute. He, he, had, a, he had a walker. And um, we said, no, you know, because um, he already obviously was at risk for falls, um, and, but he wanted to beat the test, and he threw away his walker. He's like, I can do your test and step over the obstacles and uh, close his eyes and maintain balance. And so it was a lot of fun, and it was also um, nice to be able to bring some of the students uh, with me because they saw that they can impact the community and um, help uh, prevent falls because falls can really change uh, dramatically, so uh, dramatically change uh, one's uh, livelihood, and um, I thought that was really rewarding. And you know, those are some of the things that I hope to continue doing uh, for the college. You know, it's interesting because when you <clears throat> there are several people uh, in the spotlight who, and I'm talking about individuals in their 80s and 70s. And it seems as if after they've fallen, I think one of them was the uh, announcer for the Lakers years ago, after they've fallen and if either fracture a hip or whatever, it's all downhill from there. And uh, it helps, it doesn't help, but it brings on, uh, unfortunately, death a little quicker with these people when you hear what they've suffered from. Uh, talking about balance, Dr. Ren, uh, one of the problems was uh, with my mom, who's now going to be 94 and in really great shape, except for the fact that they administered uh, genomycin, uh, pretty mm-hmm. tremendous dosages, uh, back 12 or 13 years after uh, a stomach problem with diverticulitis. 
and uh, there was question. And they totally knocked out what was called the vestibular ocular reflex. Mm-hmm. And there was really nothing to bring it back. Uh, however, fortunately, when she holds on to something, the tactual stimulation brings it back. But she cannot walk without a walker. Uh, wow. Because of the fact that it's very unsteady. And it's a shame, too. Fortunately, right. she has a really great attitude. So some people would really look at this as forget about it. I'm not dealing with this anymore. Right. And, uh, and get totally depressed. Is a known... is known to be ototoxic, and so that's unfortunate that happened to her. Um, one, of, one of my concerns would be, you know, she's lost her ability to uh, right herself and maintain balance, and my biggest concern is always when, when these seniors fall, they don't always fall forward, and if they do fall forward, they stick their arms out, and then they're, they're at risk for, you know, fra- for a fracture um, but a lot of these patients, they fall backwards, and then they hit their heads, and um, the, they may have significant damage to the brainstem, and it can be fatal in some Very cases. Much so. so that backward fall from from standing is um, can be really yeah, have unfortunate uh, results uh, for these patients because they have. Um, they suffer traumatic brain injury, and then from there, um, sometimes we see them in the, in, the, in the clinic because they have double vision, and they have issues with depth perception from their fall. Mm-hmm. Doctor, do you notice that with some of these patients, especially in the compromised situation when you're dealing uh, with the extreme senior uh, individual, uh, do you ever wind up uh, possibly pulling them out of a bifocal? Uh, because that line causes a jump. Some of them are, of course, used to it, but some of them, you know, they've developed uh, certain changes in their whole brain function, and sometimes uh, just having the bifocal can be a problem with them, you know, the jump and the so forth with the balance. Mm-hmm. Have you come across that at all? If, if a patient has never worn a bifocal, and there's two types of bifocals, right? There's two mm-hmm. lens forms. There's one that has a line, and then there's another type, it's called a no-line bifocal or progressive lens, where it transitions from distance into near, but the lens is completely clear, there's no line. Right. Sometimes um, when there's a jump between the two windows, let's call them, um, that can cause disorientation. Um, if the person is at risk for, for falls and they are showing um, imbalance uh, with their gait, I might be hesitant to start them if they've never worn a bifocal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd probably keep that patient in a separate uh, pair of glasses, one for walking or ambulation. It's going to be single vision. And then they would have a second pair uh, for sitting, for reading. Mm-hmm. Um, I always find that if I try to take a bifocal away from a patient, it's like a tug of war. And Understood. so, in theory, in theory, a bifocal, if they're walking, their inferior part, the inferior part of their visual field or the inferior part of their peripheral vision is blurred because of that reading window. And so, in order to go up and down stairs and navigate uh, curbs successfully, one actually has to tilt your chin down and look and, and and look over the bifocal 
to see your feet or to look down. And so if you inherently have a vestibular or balance issue, tilting your head down in that fashion may cause you to have vertiginous symptoms. You may have vertigo. You may all of a sudden feel dizzy. And so for those patients that have balance issues, I might consider putting them in a single vision distance for walking. But usually if I take a bifocal away, it's like a tug of war because most patients have gotten used to their bifocals or progressives Mm -hmm. and they don't want the hassle of having two separate pairs of glasses and then they always complain, oh, and then when I need to read something, my glasses are all the way on the other side of the room. (laughs) Totally understood. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, we're going to take a break right now. You're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob and we'll be back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. How many times have you heard this? I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. You are what you eat. I've tried every diet. Diets don't work. It's time to stop this kind of madness and start thinking and feeling empowered to change your health. Tune in to The Raw Truth with Chef Sharon Fraser. Join us weekly for thought-provoking conversations with world-renowned experts in the food, medical, holistic, sports medicine, chiropractic, and naturopathic health sciences. The Raw Truth airs live every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. If you are in Southern California, visit Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center. Dr. Bob started his practice more than 25 years ago, providing high-quality vision care to his patients. Some of our patients and their families have been coming to us since the very beginning. Visit our website at RanchoEyeDoctor.com. There you can click on the Testimonials tab, Video tab, and Blog tab. If Dr. Bob feels that the care a patient needs is beyond his scope of practice or knowledge, he can refer these patients to specialists to make sure the patient is receiving the best care possible. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center is part of the local chambers of commerce in Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, and Ontario, California. Our wonderful staff is very knowledgeable and friendly. We welcome most vision care plans and can help you find your vision plan if you're unsure about your coverage. We'd love to have you come in. Visit RanchoEyeDoctor.com or if you're in Southern California, call us at 909-980-3535. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center, 909-980-3535 or RanchoEyeDoctor.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob Rothbard. To reach our show, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or you can send an email to ranchooptometric at verizon.net. Now, back to this week's edition of Vision Talk Radio. You're back with Dr. Bob and with Dr. Val Wren. 
at School of Optometry at Western University. We're having kind of a discussion about uh, the private practice and what uh, Dr. Wren practices, where is the, uh, the optometry school. Doctor, uh, do you have any other questions that you wanted to know? I know that you do some uh, vision therapy in your practice. Can you talk more about um, what vision therapy is and maybe share a little bit about um, a case or two? When I take on a case in vision therapy, doctor, I I want it to be really obvious to the patient. And that doesn't mean that the less obvious ones don't get vision therapy. Those I sometimes refer out to the school, but I wanted the patient to be able to perceive what's going on. And this is with visual motor, uh, when their eyes are not working well together. There are two systems with the eyes. One is aiming, where it is, where the target is, and the other is focusing, what it is, how clear it is. And those systems work together, hopefully, but sometimes... Uh, they fight each other, and that's when the patient will have a problem. I took on a vision training case, and the reason I don't take on many because my office is not equipped. I generally refer many of the cases that I have or feel would benefit from vision training over to the optometry school. Uh, this one, though, was pretty obvious. The kid had a, did not focus quickly. It was very slow to focus from distance to reading and there's ways to measure this with certain lenses. And it was really neat. The kid was only about 10 or 11 years old, had a real source of frustration with learning. He would lose his place. It would take him a long time to read where other kids would learn it in a few minutes. It would take a half hour or an hour for him to read. Uh, generally, the more symptomology the patient has, uh, the more they want to do vision training, and the more excited they are about it, and the more receptive they are to it. So anyway, we started working with the kid with aiming problems and focusing problems. And we have certain slides which are 3D. In other words, if the child or the adult, for that matter, is able to do the task, they can see 3D. And then we want to measure how good is the 3D. If I put this kid under stress, and what do I mean by stress? If you can imagine this, the kid knows they're at two feet from the target. But optically, I can make that target appear one foot away or three or four feet away. If the kid can mismatch, deal with that mismatch where the target is physically as where it is optically, they're better off. This patient wasn't able to do any of that. But what was really interesting for this was the fact that the mom, who's in her 30s, was able to do every visual task that we asked her. She was great. She was able to work with the 3D slides. She was able to focus her eyes extremely quickly. And so she knew there was something wrong with her son. And the son also realized there was something wrong. If you can identify the problem and then also, doctor, tell the patient what the problem is and also if they correct this problem, how much better they are. But more importantly, a lot of these patients feel, hey, there's something wrong with me. I'm just dumb. Why can't I do this? If you show them why there's a problem, even if you can't remedy it quickly, there's self-esteem. And that's a big factor when we're dealing with vision training in all sorts. Their self-esteem is tremendously improved. So I decided to take this on. There was one other problem with this uh, patient, too. He had trouble coordinating left and right. And what do I mean? If he was standing still and I was to touch his right arm 
and right leg, he was able to do it. Left arm, left leg, he was able to lift it. But you should have seen the problem this student, this uh, patient had when I touched the right arm and his left leg or his left arm and his right leg. He had to think about it. The other arm would move. Uh, so lack of coordination within himself. And these problems could also uh, be remedied. These problems could also be trained. And what a difference you make in an individual's life. And you know something? When you start dealing with this, it's tremendous. Part of what we deal also with the focusing problem, before we'll go to training, we'll see if lenses themselves, small prescription lenses can make a difference. And we've given the website out at RanchoEyeDoctor.com. If you take a look at some of the testimonials, you will see where these kids were determined or by the teacher to be educationally dysfunctional. They can't do anything. They'll always be that way. And we had one that wound up, yeah, there was a basketball scholarship, but he also was in there as an academic scholarship later on. This is many years later, and I've seen the patient. And so it's really exciting for me to see this difference. So when I say that this has made such a tremendous difference for us in the way we deal with patients to be able to offer this either through ourselves or to refer it on to other individuals, it's tremendous. I now, mean, you get to smile. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, doctor. Now, are the, are the focusing issues and bidocularity issues, are those things that, um, are, are those things that are evaluated in, in your general eye examination or does the patient have to request a specific type of evaluation? I, in my examination, doctor, uh, I can determine quite a few of them. Right to start, uh, some of the stuff with perceptual, and I don't want to go into that right now because that's a whole other battery of tests, mm-hmm. but I can determine functionality problems. Uh, I can give the OEP numbers, but I'm not going to. Uh, you could tell by if they can focus when you bring down the near point rod. And I hate to say this, I've been in offices where the near point rod, which is at 16 inches, is off to the side, not even being utilized. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can determine that. You can determine how fragile the binocularity is. The old OEP system, which was called the 21-point examination, was able to determine a lot about the person's binocularity. And some of it's being tested by some of my colleagues, and unfortunately, some of it is not. But uh, I can determine pretty much uh, if there's a binocularity problem, if there's a perceptual problem. A lot of times, that part of it... uh, will be referred. And again, you'd have to look that up. We don't have time because we're running up against the end of the show. This has been really quick. But uh, Are you seeing a lot of patients with computer-based vision symptoms? And we know that a lot of our kids are on smart devices and everyone's got their phones with them, smart devices all the time. Are you seeing a lot of those really technology-related vision symptoms? And we're going to end on this question here. Absolutely. And you look at where these kids are holding the, the phones. It's about six inches away, five inches away. If you really believe that we weren't made to be viewing stuff over a long period of time, and especially as kids, they used, we used to be outdoors. Right now, there's a l- very little uh, outdoor activity. It's mostly kids in front of computers, in front of screens, and for that matter, they're adults too. This is a whole big subject. There's a whole area called computer vision syndrome. Uh, we're just seeing a lot more of it, and we don't know yet 
what's going to happen or what the results are going to be. And unfortunately, Dr. Ren, we've got to end this conversation. Uh, now we're coming up against a hard deadline uh, with Voice America. But this has been totally enjoyable. I could have carried this on for another hour because the stuff, I mean, is great. I really am so enthusiastic and really feel blessed that we're able to do this. So we're going to end this here. I really thank you. And you're a big part of our show and having other guests come on. This has been Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob on the Voice America channel. Have a good week. Thank you for tuning in to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. We'll be back next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week. We'll be right back.